Welcome to Newsworthy with Norisworthy. Get ready for some awesome. All right, friends, welcome back to the show. Today we have returning, it's been far too long, Father Jim. James Martin, welcome to the show, sir. My pleasure. Good to be back. Our favorite Jesuit. So thank you. It's, we, we've gone too long without the, uh, the, the wisdom and the guidance from Jesuit. So thank you for fixing that. Always a pleasure. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, the backstory is I was at home minding my own business, watching some Netflix. And uh, like many people, I was watching The Irishman. And so I set out about three, three days, because I think that's how long it takes to watch the whole movie. And lo and behold, I hear your voice on there. And I stop it like everyone else did and goes, wait a minute. And I rewound it, saw your face, and I was like, yeah, that's, that's who I think that is. So I went on Twitter, and I was like, oh, yeah, you've been talking about this, and somehow I've been oblivious. So I feel like I owe you an apology for not knowing you were going to be in the movie beforehand. Yeah, not, not, not knowing that I was starring in the movie, right? Yeah, it, it, it basically <laughs> was you. It's basically just about you. If people haven't seen the movie, there's, uh, there's a scene in which uh, a person beats someone on a sidewalk and kicks them, and that's actually you. So congratulations. You did, you did great oh in that role. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, no, it was a very, very small role. I was a, a priest. Um, I mean, I am a priest, but I was playing a priest <laughs> in the 1950s who was doing a baptism. And uh, so I had been helping... Martin Scorsese uh, with the movie, consulting on some of the Catholic stuff, because there are several sacraments in the movie. There's a baptism, there's a wedding, there's a funeral, and then there's a confession at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said, would you like to be the priest who baptizes? And I said, sure. So I had to learn the Latin because it's 1950 and 55. Oh, I don't think my Latin was all that great. All my Jesuit friends are making fun of me. Are they? Uh, <laughs> but I said, well, you know, it's, it takes place in Philadelphia, and uh, everyone else talks like they're from Brooklyn, and I'm from Philly. And so I said, I'm, I'm actually trying to do Latin with a Philly accent. <laughs> <laughs> that's, um, that's pretty nice. Now, we are talking off mic about uh, Messiah, another Netflix uh, piece, and there is a pastor from tax- Texas in there. And I don't know why they didn't consult me for that role. I feel like I could have brought a lot to that uh, project. Shocking. It was kind of over, overlooked. I, um, yeah, I was saying that in, in Messiah, the Netflix film, which is pretty controversial, uh, 10 part series, uh, pastor in Texas. Um, he's played by a friend of mine, John Ortiz. Very good. He's married. He has a kid and his parish is sort of dwindling. Uh, one of the first scenes is they have two or three people in the congregation mm. and I won't give away too much, but, uh, the, you know, basically the coming of the Messiah, um, into this, uh, this person's life kind of reinvigorates the guy's parish, and then he becomes uh, the right-hand man of of the Messiah, which clearly a role, you know, kind of cut out for you. Yeah, I, I, from from your lips to God's ears, let's make that happen. <laughs> I, I do like, though, how you just subtly dropped that, you know, I was helping uh, Scorsese with the film. Like, that's a pretty nice, just like a, a drop right there, like, as I was helping Martin Scorsese well, with the movie. Yeah. It was fun. I mean, I helped him with the movie Silence, um, which was about oh, that's right. yeah. Yeah, Jesuit missionaries. And so we got to be friends. And, you know, I was happy to help him with The Irishman. It really it, it didn't take too much time. Um, interestingly, uh, for people that have seen it, um, uh, we spent an entire day from 7 a.m. to 9 p.m. doing the baptisms. Then we spent an entire day, 7 a.m. to 9 p.m., doing the wedding and each of those scenes was like a minute and I, I couldn't believe it. I mean, you know, you get a sense, particularly in the wedding, he had something like 
200 extras in the background, all in period costumes, all sort of like, you know, decked out. And, you know, they, they fed us, they, they gave us all this, you know, the background information. And then it was a minute in the film. So you realize why these films cost so much money, basically. Yeah, definitely. And I think Silence was a film that I feel like I have some people that I know who help uh, fund the movie from West Texas, some oil people who uh, are are from the Church of Christ. So this is another connection of Church of Christ, Texas people with with your work. So I, I don't know if, I don't know if this is God trying to say that maybe you should think about converting you know, your allegiance to a different part of Christianity, but I'll just put it out there. Just We'll see what happens. I All know. I would say is when the real Messiah comes back and you're his right-hand man, just remember me. <laughs> oh, I, 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 I can't forget you. That won't happen. <laughs> Thank you. That will, definitely will not happen. Um, no, uh, so, so yeah, it was great seeing you in that. And um, I know you're friends with the Pope. And uh, obviously, uh, you know, there was the recent Pope slap, which was all over the news. And... Uh, did you find yourself having to uh, like be like, hey, come on? It was just like, who hasn't wanted to do that to someone? Let's just everyone chill out, leave them alone. Yeah, I thought it was kind of a crazy story. I'm not exactly a friend of the Pope. I mean, I've met, him, <laughs> but you know, that's that's kind of stretching it. Um, yeah, you know what happened was for people that didn't follow it. Uh, you know, he's 83 years old. He has sciatica, um, as many people know. And he was uh, in front of, in St. Peter's Square, where he meets everybody, and he was shaking hands. And, you know, he's very open and very um, kind of, uh, you know, with people and close to people physically. And as he was turning away, someone grabbed his hand and basically yanked him back towards the crowd. I couldn't believe it. 83 years old. And he just sort of, you know, naturally kind of smacked her hand away and got mad. And you know, everybody went crazy and said, oh, you know, papal smack. And I thought, this poor guy, you know, he, you can see he's in pain, too. And then he felt so bad about it that the next day he apologized. So, you know, it was, a, I think, a good lesson for people to talk about apology, but also blown way out of proportion. I mean, you know, there are a lot of people that use that just who don't like him anyway to kind of make him look bad. I had uh, someone tell me uh, a wise piece of advice about people in our profession and he said that uh, all pastors, priests, preachers, whatever you want to call them, uh, are screens upon which w- people project their stuff. Yeah. And y- you see an incident like that, which literally every person in the world has done something in a split second that sure. has a reaction that maybe is less than ideal. Uh, and we just project whatever we want on it. And it's just... Ha- ha- it seems like human nature that maybe we should stop doing that. Uh yeah, and also it doesn't mean like I, I find sometimes that um, people will say to me, oh, you know what this priest said to me? This is why I don't go to church anymore. This priest said to me, blah, 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 and they tell me something really stupid. And I say, well, that's that sounds like a really stupid thing for him to say, you know, but that's not the whole church, you know? I mean, it doesn't mean the entire Christian church is rejecting you. It just means that you ran into a pastor who said something stupid. Yeah. Um, but so, yeah, so they also they also not only project – stuff onto you they take what you say as you know the church says this or the church rejects me or no the pope is a bad person because he hit this woman's hand it's crazy yeah no i yeah i I wouldn't want that job so i'm not gonna put my resume in for the next uh, (laughs) next time that's up because i don't want anything i say to be uh that valued and luckily my church doesn't value what i say that much so we're all good i mean it's a good spot for us to be in (laughs) yeah but uh, yeah i'm 
that that story was uh, was, was something. Now, uh, when you're on uh, last time, we were talking about your book, Building a Bridge, which has been out since 17 now? Right, 2017, correct. And uh, obviously, that's a, a passion of yours, a, a project that you continue to work on. Uh, what have you learned in the three years since that book came out that um, – that has maybe opened your eyes or changed your perspective on this sort of conversation between Christianity and the LGBTQ community? That's a great question. That's a very good question. I've never been asked that, and it's a very astute question. I would say I've learned two things. So for people that aren't familiar with it, Building a Bridge is about helping the Catholic Church, at least, um, treat LGBT people with respect, compassion, and sensitivity, and also asking the LGBT community to do the same to the Church. Um, I think that the the two things that I've learned most are, one, truly the amount of pain and suffering that LGBT people feel from their church as, not just the Catholic Church, and how they feel excluded and beaten down and marginalized. And it's really shocking. I mean, every day, including today, I get notes from people telling me these terrible stories. Um, I'll tell you one, and then I'll go to the next thing I've learned. I had a woman in my office come in and say that she came out to her pastor in college at a kind of a campus ministry, a Catholic campus ministry. And this priest said to her, now you're not going to believe this, but this is exactly what the priest said. Well, I'm very sorry to hear that because I've been praying my whole priesthood that I would never meet a gay person. Oh. Right. And I, you know, and, and no wonder people feel excluded oh. from church. Yeah, that's an, that's an actual quote. That's one of so the worst things the, I've ever heard. That's right. And and so that's the first thing. And then the second thing, so we can never really underestimate that pain, sometimes at the hands of churches. And then the second thing is really how much anger there is out there about this issue and how much homophobia there still is uh, in, you know, supposedly Christian people who are just obsessed with this one issue and obsessed with the, you know, the, that particular issue and, and whether or not these people are living according to church teaching or not, and, you know, in a way that they're not for straight people. You know, they're just not as obsessed with it. So, there's, you know, and, and I mean, look, even beyond or, or setting aside uh, those questions, you know, people are just, there's a lot of homophobia and hatred out there. And it's really, that surprised me, to be perfectly honest. I, I knew that it would be like racism. Like, sure, you know, it's there. And, but then when you see, you think, oh, my gosh, I, had, I, really, I really had no clue. So that was, that was the surprise. How do you see homophobia presented these days? What, what does it look uh, like? Oh, uh, well, it depends who it is. I mean, I think within our world, within the Christian world um, in which we both live, it is presented as uh, the LGBT person is the worst sinner. And we have to look at their moral and sexual lives under a microscope. Again, in a way that we don't do with straight people. We simply, we just don't treat straight people like that. Uh, and so it's used, so, so you know, the Bible and church teaching are used as not invitations for these people to encounter the living God, but as weapons. Yeah. That's the first thing. Second thing it is, I think homophobia looks often like uh, a person who is not comfortable with their own sexuality. So I meet a lot of people who seem to be struggling or so-called ex-gays, you know, that kind of stuff, who are just really hateful and just obsessed with this issue. Um, and then the third thing I think is a kind of um, us and them mentality, right? Like, yeah. 
like you know well they're the good christians and then there's all these people all these gay people who are bad christians and again you know they accept straight people they could you know i mean uh, who do all sorts of things and but that's okay because they're straight so because they're like us yeah. so it, it it looks a lot of different ways I, what, what would you say i mean your experience how would you experience that you know, I, I wouldn't think that I've seen a ton of homophobia in the parishes, as you would call them, in the churches that I've been connected to. Now, there would be people who would take a quote-unquote conservative position on this, sure. uh, but it would yeah. be it, it would be uh, applied with people saying that uh, you know, quote-unquote, it's it's a sin like any other sin, and it's not better or worse than anyone else, and so we want to treat everyone and and you're welcome here we'll love you obviously there's gonna be some follow-up questions that are gonna probably get answers that you don't really like but um it's typically a you know conservative read on on marriage but it's 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 paired with a compassionate embrace which i feel like that's all we can really ask for for anyone compassion well, and respect for others. some people that's a that's a big step and i think the other thing that um happens is in the church right now is there are so many people who have, in the Catholic Church, that, who have aligned themselves against Francis. Francis just drives people crazy that this issue has become a sort of um, test case or lightning rod for a lot of Catholics. And so, you know, I like to say, you know, see how they shove one another. I mean, it's really, it, it really can get uh-huh. ugly. So I, I've had, you know, I've challenged no church teaching and basically all I'm talking about is respect, compassion and sensitivity, which is in our catechism. And, you know, really just the gospel values of welcome and love and compassion. And, you know, people say the most hateful things. I mean, then, then it gets personal. I mean, name calling and yeah. stuff online. And so it's, it's just shocking to me that I've always said this. Look, if I let's say I, I go to one of your, uh, uh, you know, your, your services or I hear you preaching or I read something you write, I might go up to you and I might say, Luke, you know, I don't. I don't particularly agree with this one thing. Can you explain yourself? Yeah. Okay, then you explain yourself. And I say, well, okay, that's interesting. I wouldn't say, you know, you're a heretic, you're going to hell, you disgust me. You, And, and that sort of shocks me. But a lot of these people, um, they feel like they're prophets and they're, they're pointing out, you know, apostasy or heresy or something. And so, you know, if you feel like you're a prophet, you know, you feel like you can say anything you want. Yeah, if if you have the responsibility of speaking for God, it kind of gives you carte blanche to do whatever you want, treat people however they, you know, you want to. It, that that's what surprised me the most because I have done a, a a Google search or two on you, and to see the sort of animus and the the acrimony that seems to me, I, I have I've had uh, many friends or guests on the podcast who have gotten backlash, and I look at it and I go, well, I see why you're like getting backlash. I mean. Um, I don't know if you know Nadia Boltz-Weber out in Denver, Colorado. Yes. Like, I yeah. see what she does and, like, the language she uses, and I get, I see why people are pushing back. Um, I, I, other guests for different reasons, for, I, I get it, I see it, but then I see the response from this book of yours, and you're, like, taking a conservative position, or as you say, it's consistent with the, the catechism, catechesis. Correct, catechesis. Um, and it, it seems to me you're just asking people to be nice and compassionate, and I thought... That's kind of where we all should be, but yeah, I know, and I think uh, you know a lot of people have not read the book. A lot of people are trusting some far right, fairly radical, fringy Catholic websites that tell them what I'm saying. Um, and you know, truly, a lot of people are just 
they're they're pretty angry about this and they think it's disgusting and they're frightened. Most of this comes from fear. You know, fear of the uh, LGBT person yeah, yeah. as the other, fear of change, fear of and fear again of their own kind of complicated sexuality. But let me tell you the, the irony is it all changes when they have a person in their family who comes out. Then it's, oh father, you know, thank you for doing this. And so uh, you know, more and more people are experiencing that. So, yeah, I, I'm I'm pretty relaxed about it. I mean, I I I met with the Pope in September, and he was very positive, and it was very encouraging. So, you know, I mean, I if he's on my side, I'm yeah. not too worried about stuff. Yeah, he's got your back. So, you know, I think you'll you'll, you'll be good. That's the nice thing about uh, you know your stream of Christianity is that you just got to get the Pope on your side, and you're good. I mean, I don't. I, I, well, I, the, the, <laughs> the problem is. Um, not every not every bishop would even agree with that. There are a lot of people who are, believe it or not, this is very like in the weeds Catholicism. But you know, there are a lot of bishops uh, and archbishops and cardinals who are not aligned with that. And wow. you would think that that sort of the Pope meeting with me would have sent enough of a message. But you know, a lot of people that's that's not good enough. They're more Catholic than the Pope. Oh wow! Oh, so that's what the phrase means: more Catholic than the Pope. Uh, yeah, that's uh, wow. You know, one of the things that's nice about hearing about this side of Catholicism is it makes me really appreciate my tradition more. Like we, we've got issues, but <laughs> no, I know, I know. I mean, each each denomination has their own. You know, the grass is always greener. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yes, sir. Well, your next book, though, I mean, there can't be any controversy. You're writing a book on prayer. It seems like you who can't be for prayer. I I would certainly hope not. That and you know, I'll tell you something funny. Just for fun, I made sure that the words LGBT are not anywhere in the book. <laughs> <laughs> There's not like a first letter in the first five sentences have those no, like no, spelled out or anything, like, like a like a James Bond thing. Um, <laughs> no, it's it's a very straightforward uh, look on how to pray, and uh, I think one of the things that I'm really happy about, and I'm working on it right as we speak, is that I talk about what happens when you pray. So because you know, as you know, most people you talk about oh the fruits of prayer, oh your time with God. And for someone who has never done it, they don't know what you're talking about. What are you talking about? I close my eyes and what happens? That's, that's one of the main purposes of the book. What, what is your um, Prayer 101 invitation to how to get someone to pray for the very first time? That's another great question. I usually do a, a prayer with them uh, that is popular with Jesuits um, called the Daily Examine mm-hmm. uh, or Examination of Conscience. And it's essentially a review of your day to notice where God was. Uh, you start out with putting yourself in the presence of God. You look at things you're grateful for. You review the day, literally, you know, like hour yeah. by hour. And then you kind of close with a, a prayer for, well, forgiveness. You ask for forgiveness for anything you've done wrong. And then you look towards the next day. And the point is, people can usually see where God was easier than seeing where God is. You know, it's that whole thing with Moses. God yeah, says, you yeah, yeah, yeah. Face, you know, you will see my back. And, so I, I find the examines helpful. And then just, you know, frankly, inviting them to pray any way they want. Um, some people who are more imaginative like to do kind of imaginative prayer and imagine themselves in Scripture. Some people who are more uh, verbal like to do uh, what, what, Lexio Divina, you know, where you kind of go through the, the sacred texts. So I, I also encourage them to kind of find God where they are. But the, the, the go-to prayer for me is the examine. Yeah, yeah. The line about it's easy to see where God was instead of where God is, that's spot on. I've I've never heard anyone articulate that. That is, uh, that's very insightful. Well, you know, it's like what I always say is, it's like when someone says to you, oh, you know, I went through this really difficult time, let's say, 
God forbid, I, I was really sick or someone died or we had this financial crisis or something like that or my, something was going on with my kids. And you look back and you say, oh, well, I really can see where God was at work, right, through this person or through this event or through this uh, scripture reading that I read or something or this devotional. It's the same insight. Like, you, you have more distance from it. And so looking back over the day, what happens is you start to see, oh, my gosh, you know, God really is there. And so that when you live forward kind of the next day, you're more attentive to where God is. Yeah. Yeah, that's really good. My Part of my uh, Advent practice uh, was – a, uh, a nightly gratitude list or, or uh, practice right. of that. And in some ways, it's just a different language for the same idea of like, these are things that I saw God's blessing, God's hand, God's grace in. And uh, you do that, the more you do that, it kind of opens you up. And you it's almost like you develop a muscle memory of, not only am I going to see it in the past, I'm not only going to talk about it like tonight, but I'm going to start to see him right now in this moment. No, I mean, my example would be, let's say that you and I, um, we, we go out to dinner one night, we have a good time. And that I and and you're very um, let's say attentive to something going on in my life, and I bring that to prayer, and I say, "Oh my gosh, Luke is so attentive," and that was really a moment of God's kind of uh, interest in me. Okay, the next time I see you, I'll be aware of that. You know, I'll, I'll notice that, and I'll I'll notice it more as it's happening. I'll say, "Oh my gosh, I remember I remember that in the exam, and how grateful I was." And here's this quality in my friend that I can appreciate now as it's happening. And so you kind of, it enables you to live more in the present moment and be really attentive to God's invitation at every moment. Yeah. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. It's, and it's like this awareness every moment that, that God is there with you. Um, yeah. There was this book out uh, by this Jesuit and I think the 17th century Jean-Pierre de Cossade. And it's, I think it's a great title. It just says everything. Uh, the sacrament of the present moment. Hmm. I write that down. You know, so every moment is yeah, it's 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 a beautiful book, but it's you know, it's basically finding God in every interaction and every encounter, which is, you know, it's a challenge, but you know, I think God's there. Yeah, there's that that line that, that Paul writes that uh, it's God's will for you to give thanks in all circumstances. Yeah. In, in all yeah. things that you learn to give give thanks because you see God in everything. But it, yep. it take, takes work to get there. Brene Brown has this line <laughs> about uh uh no one's um no one who has a joyful life does it outside of those who practice gratitude and she's got this line practice gratitude like you have to work at it. like it doesn't just come naturally you have to go work against kind of the i don't know mm, no way, human nature yeah. I'd say you know because um and that's one reason the examine this daily examine and by the way if you're listeners we have a podcast called the daily examine where i lead people through it every day mm-hmm. um that's one reason saint ignatius the founder of the jesuits asks us to start with gratitude because we do as you say we have a natural tendency to just kind of move on to problems or problem solving or you know just even being ungrateful uh, ignatius said that ingratitude i love this is the origin of all sins Oh, that's good. It's kind of true. Uh, and so to really ground, as you say, to kind of ground yourself in gratitude is, you know, it's something that, especially as Americans, we're kind of not used to doing, right? I mean, it's yeah. it's like it's like what's next? What's next? What's next? Right? Which is, yeah. you know, in some ways in terms of getting stuff done, but not good in like resting in gratitude. Yeah, I've got this bit that I've done a few times about how if you were trying to explain to an alien birthday parties – and you have to explain, like, yeah, I, I get cake and I get presents. And they're like, what did you do? And you're like, I was just born. And they go, well, who born? Like, the person who typically is bringing you the cake and singing you the song and made you the presents is the one who did something who up until very recently in human history would almost 
50% of the time, kill them, but you're getting presents, you're getting the song, and she's cooking for you. And you wonder That's why it's so hard to develop gratitude. Like, our whole system is built against that. But you got to just keep... Well, also, yeah, and you know, you look at TV and movies and social media, and it's all about how other people have more. And, you know, someone said to me once, don't compare your real life with someone else's life on Instagram. Oh, that's so true. You know, and so so it's hard to be grateful if you think everybody else has more than you do. Yeah. Yeah, and there's... I've got a book coming out that talks all about that, so I could go on a long riff about that, but people can just wait a couple months and buy the book so they don't have to hear the riff right now. Um, What's it called? It's called uh, Befriending Your Monsters. That's a great title. Yeah, and so I I use Nowen's line about the three lies that we all believe, that I am what I do, uh, I am what I have, and I am what others say about me. So I talk about the idea like the monster of more uh, is I am what I have. Uh, the monster of comparison is I am what others say about me. And wow. uh, the monster of success is uh, I am what I do. And so I developed That's these. Great. Well, thank you. I'll have to. You know, I'll have to say I, I'm a big noun fan, but I'd never heard those three. Those are the three lies we tell ourselves. Yeah. I, um, yes. I've tried That's to think great. where he said it. Um, I think the quote comes from like. Uh, it's like he was on some TV show. There's a video clip of him saying it. But well, that's great. I mean, that's and it's so true. That's a that'll be a great book, I'm sure. Okay, well, I'll send you a copy. Love to see it. Deal. Uh, okay, one of the things you also posted about on prayer uh, was uh, I think it was back in December. You did a post about um, like dark nights of the soul and uh, dryness and, and struggling. And you talk about like they're common in spiritual life. Like everyone has them. Uh, Mother Teresa had that experience. And if if anyone's read her. Uh, I guess it was a, her writings that came out Let, posthumously. Her and her diaries, yeah. Which, I, I, like, I've heard some people say it's it's kind of sketchy that they were ever published. I, whatever. I'm not Catholic. I don't have to decide if that was right or wrong. But the point is, like, this woman who, of all people, should feel the nearness of God, she felt darkness and dryness. And the suggestion you said, the first thing you say is, keep on praying. Yeah, keep on praying. And it is true. Mother Teresa, which whoever I thought, oh, if anyone has a, yeah. access to God, all she has to do is close her eyes. But um, interiorly, you know, she had a very, for years, like 50 years until she died, had this very, what she considered dry prayer life, where not a whole lot was happening. And she had had some really intense uh, mystical experiences early in her life. And and I think that's part of it, like, you know, compared to what she had had, she really felt let down. But yeah, I mean, you should just keep praying because it's kind of natural. It's like saying, you know, what if I said to you, like, oh, you know, um, you know, uh, this this couple I know is is arguing in, in, in their marriage. You'd say, yeah, well, that that's kind of part of the deal, right? And <laughs> yeah. this couple, you know, they're 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 going through this kind of period of silence. Uh, yeah, I mean that that yeah that. It, so it doesn't mean you give up or or that 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 God is not listening to you. It just means that's kind of part of that's kind of part of the normal relationship. And who knows why our prayer is dry sometimes? It could be us, you know. It could be. Who knows? It's very mysterious. Um, one of the things I like to quote, I quoted it a couple times in my book as a Jesuit named Richard Leonard, which I love. He says, it's very challenging. He says, um, if God feels distant, di- if God feels distant, guess who moved? Ah, uh, yes, I've heard that. That's good. It's typically us that move, I like, right? I mean, yeah. we're, we're the ones who stepped away. Yeah, or, or we get so attached to the fruits of prayer and not to God himself. I mean... Does my prayer every day always have to be rich and beautiful and insightful and clear and non-distracted? You know, I mean, what happens if it's not? Does that mean I don't believe in God anymore? I turn away from prayer? So, 
people, you know, I think it's it's almost like prayer is a product. Yeah. Right. So I'm going to sit down. If I don't get my what I want from it, I'm gonna I'm gonna sort of say the heck with it. Yeah, I had a guy on the podcast not too long ago talking about Sabbath, and he said there's no such thing as a perfect Sabbath. And that was very freeing for me because I felt, oh, if I all of a sudden check email too much or I check email, excuse me, or I do some work thing, I, I've ruined it. Might as well just like, oh, let's just go to work then. And there's grace. It doesn't have to be perfect. And the same thing with prayer. Like it doesn't have to be perfect every time. It doesn't have to have like the, the, the flowery emotions, but it can just be prayer. And that's still okay. Yeah, or it, can, or it can be, sometimes it can be dry and that's okay. I mean, so you're in God's presence and you don't feel a whole lot. You're, you're still in God's presence. That's, that's, <laughs> that's great. I mean, I, you know, I, I always say to people, imagine the disciples with Jesus. I'm sure that, well, certainly not every moment. He was not doing a miracle every moment. We know that. Yeah. He, was not, he was probably not preaching every moment. I'm sure it was satisfying being with them, but it may have just been, you know, walking with him or just, you know, uh, eating with him and not a whole lot was happening. Does that mean that, I mean, you know, was that is that less important? No, the disciples are with him and kind of sharing in this presence. Mm-hmm. So they can't yeah, imagine. I imagine like if you're with the Jesus and say, well, you haven't done a miracle in a couple of days. What's wrong with you? You know, I mean, yeah, that that seems like it's a little bit uh, dismissive of all the other miracles, you know. Yeah, dismissive and then a little selfish. It's all about, you know, how I yeah, feel, yeah. what God is doing for me and. So yeah, so I think I think reminding people that it's okay to have dry periods in prayer is is, is an important thing to do. Yeah. So in my tradition of Christianity, uh, most uh, most of us have been taught that prayer is uh, maybe what some would call like a free prayer, where you don't use something that's been uh, someone else has written or it's come before you. Yeah. And often the the suggestion that I would give or I'd prescribe in that kind of context is especially if you feel dryness, the, the thing about having uh, a, a liturgy that someone else developed before you or words that Christians for hundreds and thousands of years have prayed is that it kind of ties you to something beyond your emotions. And it yes. kind of like these free prayers are very emotional, which is great, but sometimes the emotions can be a, a weakness. And so I always say... Yeah, I, go ahead. No, you please. jump in. No, go ahead. Continue. Well, well, well I was going to say, well, well I, so I'll tell someone from, from my side... Uh, hey, check out some of these already written prayers. Maybe it, it, it might kind of give you a guide, uh, a, like a trellis that your your prayers can grow upon. When when it's coming from your side, it's more based on those prayers. Like that's the foundation. Is that fair to say? Right. Yeah, and I think from my from my point of view, people need to be encouraged to do more of the free prayer. You know, um, look, I see. I so I agree. I think that it's you know, it depends on the person, right? So some people love you know, what we would call rote prayers, like prayers that are written down and prayers by different uh, spiritual masters, you know, that help you. Great. And, you know, all Christians, I always say to people, look, you already do rote prayer. You do the Our Father. <laughs> and that's, you know, that's, that's yeah. not so bad. Yeah. Um, well, actually, my tradition doesn't, they had to learn to, like, hey, it's okay to do this. The oh, Our really? Father. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but, but for some people, they don't like that. And then you have to say, all right, fine, then do something more free. I do find that for me... Um, and I didn't, I generally, I generally take people where they are, um, you know, where they're coming from. Some people like it more road. Some people like it more free for me though. Sometimes if it's too free for me, I can, it, it gets a little distracting and I just need even like a word or a phrase that I can come down to. Yeah. For me, I, I like sort of picturing myself in like the gospel scene. 
you know, and that, that gives me a way to just sort of be with Jesus and maybe imagine myself talking with him. But yeah, I mean, God meets you where you are. And so whatever, there's no right or wrong way to pray. Yeah. Uh, tell us more about the uh, picturing yourself in a gospel scene sort of prayer. For some, that they, they've never heard that idea before. And yeah, I know. I, obviously, that's not a new thing to you. That's That's been going on for, for years. But give us kind of like the 101 introduction to that. Sure. Um, so we usually call it uh, Ignatian contemplation. Um, it's essentially using your imagination to put yourself in a gospel scene. So if you take, um, you know, for example, like the nativity scene, since it was just Christmas, not too far in the past, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, imagine yourself in the stable, you know, close your eyes. What do you see? Mary and Joseph, you see the manger, you see Jesus. What do you hear? You hear the animals, you hear maybe the baby crying. Um, even though I know, you know, (laughs) a way in a manger said, you know, no, no crying he makes. Um, you know, what do you smell? Well, you know, what, what does a stable smell like? Yeah, um, good. Uh, yeah, exactly. You know, in different Bible passages, it might be, what do you taste? So at the wedding feast at Cana or the loaves and the fishes, uh, what do you feel? Like, are you cold? Are you hot? And you kind of imagine yourself there and you just see what kind of uh, comes up. And a lot of times stuff comes up that's very personal. Hmm. So, you know, for something like the nativity scene, you might say, oh, I really felt drawn to just looking at Jesus. Okay. What might that have to say about your life? Maybe you're just being uh, invited to be more contemplative, to just sort of be quieter, you know, and just so it, it's a way of, uh, you know, basically helping people enter into gospel scenes in a different way that that's different than reading them or hearing them uh, or being told about them. And I always say, look, you're doing that anyway. If someone, if, if even if a, if a preacher stands up and tells you the story about the nativity, right, or the storm at sea, you're unconsciously picturing it anyway, right? Yeah. So it's just kind of a further development of that. Do you encourage someone in this practice to, to read the text first to understand the story, or do they? Yeah, no, I'm, it's funny. I was just writing about that. Um, I encourage them to read it, um, to do maybe a little bit of, if something's not clear, maybe to do a little bit of research. Like if you really don't understand at all what Jesus is saying, maybe look at the bottom of your Bible or a Bible commentary, but you don't have to really study it to get into it. You should really kind of take it as it is. So I'm going to try to say something uh, like, you know, when Jesus says you can't accept that because that's Corban, right? You know, that word he uses, right? Well, I mean, if you're trying to pray over that passage, you don't even know what he's talking about. You know, maybe get a Bible commentary or a Bible dictionary and look it up. But, that doesn't mean you have to do, you know, a three-hour study about, you know, Jewish practices about Korban and all that kind of stuff. Yep. Uh, so, yeah, if you don't understand it, it's good to research it. But, like, being a Bible scholar is not a prerequisite for praying this way. Yeah, and just because you're a Bible scholar doesn't mean you even pray. So those two things... Uh, <laughs> exactly, that's right. <laughs> they, don't, they don't always go, to get, go together. Right. Uh, okay, speaking of prayer, one of the things that... Uh, I think this probably was the first time we talked. Uh, you said, and it was just phrased in a way that I didn't... It was so unaccustomed to me that I was like, oh, what am I supposed to do? When you said, uh, Luke, pray for me. And th- it was kind of like your typical, like, you said it multiple times to me, I feel like, uh, as like a closing, like a, hey, see you later. And but when you first said, I thought, like, like right now? Uh, like, do you, like what, are we, what are we doing here? And, uh, but that's like a normal part of like the Catholic vernacular, I assume, right? Totally. And, you mean your prayer, pray for me, yeah. Yeah, which I like. I, I, it's, uh, obviously I've remembered it, you know, years later. But nice. when, when you think of prayer uh, in, like, uh, intercessory prayer or prayers of petitions for other people, 
uh, I assume you probably write a little bit about that in the book. How, how do you help us understand that, that part of prayer? Yeah, well, let me ask you. I mean, you must, people must ask you to pray for them, right? Or, yeah. you know, do they? Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it's basically something simple. I ask God to help this person, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if someone's going through a really tough time, I might spend a lot of time in prayer sort of imagining that person, even imagining them, uh, you know, before God. Someone told me that, I thought this is really beautiful, I put this in the book, that they imagine, let's say I'm praying for you, Luke, and you're going through something difficult, that I imagine Jesus taking your hand, right, which is kind of beautiful. So, I mean, I think God hears those prayers. I mean, Paul talks about it, you know, pray without ceasing, and, and, and Paul's always saying, you know, I pray for you, and I ask you to pray for me, and so, now, how does it work? I don't know, but I think it's good that we ask God to help one another. It, do you do you feel the need to answer how prayer works a lot? I mean, do you feel like that's part of what people yes. come to you for? Yeah, yeah. Because um, I mean, one of the things, and again, I'm talking about this in my book, are uh, you know, people say, "Why doesn't it seem like God answers my prayers?" Right, mm-hmm. and people want to know that. I mean, and it's very. You know, I mean, if someone's praying for a loved one who's sick with cancer not to die and they die, you really have to deal with that as a pastor. And that's a very hard question. And I think, you know, some of the old standbys of, oh, you know, uh, God answered your prayer, but it was no, or uh, God's giving you something better, or uh, you don't, you just don't see it. You know, I mean, imagine, God forbid, imagine telling like the, 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 the father of or the mother of some child who dies from cancer, oh, this is better for you. Or, so one of the things I say in the book, which I think is, for me, um, the most honest answer, and I think spiritually and intellectually and practically, is that a lot of times, you know, we don't know, and that it is mysterious, right? And that mm-hmm. can you still believe in a God that you don't understand, right? So that, that's kind of the invitation. You know, we, we, don't under, we do not understand all of God's ways, yeah. And so, can can you can you sort of still be in a relationship with a God that 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 may be mysterious to you, even even why He doesn't answer you, seemingly answer your prayers? Yeah, one of the most uh, recent conversations I've had uh, in this subject matter was uh, you know someone whose uh, significant other has a bad diagnosis, and they're in a room with other people, and someone else is celebrating their partner's good diagnosis, and so exactly. the refrain from the room is, "Praise God." For this good diagnosis, which is great, like we, we do that, but then when it's followed up with God is good, um, it, it's one of those expressions that I think is intended to express something really beautiful and true and, and, and faithful, um, but maybe it's a little bit misguided whenever you, you pair a good diagnosis with God is good. Yeah, because if you're going to say God is, is, and it is mysterious, I mean, I can't pretend to understand it. And if you're going to, and, and that's my reaction too, like I'm very happy. Yeah. You know, like I, um, my my cousin's child just had a baby yesterday, right? And I've, I've spent some time in prayer saying, thank God. Of course, we're all saying, thank God, thank God. Now, does that, what what does the woman who has a miscarriage say? I mean, does she, does she ascribe to God that same agency? So it's, it's very mysterious. On, on a lighter note, I'll say this, um, that taken to the extreme, someone said, I saw a, a, a theologian say once that, he always wants to say, you know, when, it, when a, f- a football team wins and the football team captain will say, you know, I, I thank God for this win and it's thanks to God that we won and all this. And he said he always wants to have the, the losing team say, I blame God. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, so, yeah, yeah you, you're right. You have to be very careful with, with how you present this with people. Yeah. I, as a New York Yankees baseball fan, I definitely thank God when Garrett Cole 
signed with them this offseason, and I truly think that is from God. Uh, you can't, you you can't argue me off that position. But you're right. If, you if it's not good news everywhere, it's not truly good news. And the gospel is good news everywhere, both in – my daughter had a scare um, – two summers ago where we thought she had leukemia. And so we spent a couple nights on the oncology Florida Children's Hospital. And uh, it, it, obviously it was the worst couple of days of my life, but then we got a good diagnosis and it's actually, you know, it's some crazy virus that it's not cancer, even though it looks like cancer. And yeah. so we're celebrating, uh, literally celebrating in the oncology floor. We have to say overnight because they can't check us out. And there's some more work to, to, be, to be done. But so we're in there having the best night of our life. And then next door, there's a room that's recently been vacated. It's got a little crib in there. And you go, oh my gosh. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, literally the best news and the worst news is within four steps from each other. And yeah. I, I would hope that the gospel can traverse both of those rooms. And I think it can. Yeah, you would hope. And I think, you know, it's so mysterious. And I think, you know, to talk to, say, the parents, I think to admit that we don't understand these things, right? And yet, one thing we do know is that, you know, God's with you in that suffering. Yeah. I mean, that... Uh, you know, Jesus Jesus went through times of suffering. And so, you know, the risen one is with us. And under. I always say to people, one thing you can count is that Jesus understands you. Yeah. Because Jesus has suffered. Uh, Jesus has gone through this. He, he saw people in his own life who suffered. I mean, his father would have died. And he obviously back then, when people died young, he would have seen people die. And so, that to me is kind of the, the heart, is that Christ is with you in this suffering. But... Mm-hmm. Truly, I mean, as, as you're alluding to, you know, the, the kind of sort of platitudes that people tell one another can sometimes do more harm than good. Yeah, yeah, they can. Uh, I, I had a friend who's, uh, when she was my age, uh, she's one of my professors in seminary, and she said uh, she, she had lost her husband when he was around my age, around 30 or so. And uh, she said, you know, you can't really listen to what people say in grief or to you when you're grieving because they don't know what to say. Everyone does the move of Job's friends. We all do it. And sometimes you just... Listen to the heart, not the actual words. But that, that's actually that's a great insight. You're right, right. They are like Joe's friends. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the one of my favorite stories is uh, my mother told me this story that she used to visit her mother, who was very old, in a, a Catholic nursing home, and there were some Catholic sisters there in you know in the nursing home, and another sister came to talk to this older sister this, uh, who was in a wheelchair and was very in much pain. And uh, the sister said to the older sister, well, just think of Jesus on the cross, mm-hmm. right? Which is a very Catholic response. And this older nun who's like 90 years old said, yeah, he was only on the cross for three hours. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, you say these platitudes to people and it can do a lot of harm, right? Yeah. yeah. And P- I, think, I think most people... To your friend's point, I think most people understand that. People don't know what to say. They don't know what to tell you. They don't know what to say. And, you know, it points out that it's a mystery, you know? Yep. Well, I think the uh, mystery of prayer will be solved uh, early 2021 when the book, it's <laughs> Learning to Pray. Is it the title, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it comes out in 2021. Sometime 2021. I'm, I'm pretty much finished, but it takes a year to get it published, yeah. as you know. Yeah, of course. Who's your Who's your publisher for this one? Uh, Harper One. Okay. Yeah, you've used, they publish other works of yours, right? Yeah, they've been really great to me, and, and I'm, I'm looking forward to it. So, yeah, I'm excited about it. Okay. And, and good luck with your book, too. When does your book come out? Uh, it comes out in May. So, Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, second one. We'll see how it does. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's a I'm, weird process, but uh, you will know that. But uh, thank you for the time. 
uh, pray for me. See, I used it correctly. There it is. Very good. Pray for me too. And uh, we will we'll have you back on the podcast when the book comes out again, and uh, right. we'll get all of our answers for prayers then. All right, my brother. Thanks a lot. Thanks for checking out Newsworthy with Norsworthy. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You are now adjourned.